Do you love your work? Do you think it's possible? Well, you're about to find out. It's time for 48 Days to the Work You Love with Dan Miller on the 48 Days Online Radio Show. Whether you need a professional tune-up or a work overhaul, this is the program for you. Now, here's your host, Dan Miller. Hey, I trust you're having a wonderful day. I certainly am here in Franklin, Tennessee, just south of the music capital of the world. Golly, it's a gorgeous day. Springtime just reminds us all that there's new beginnings. No matter what has happened, it's a time for new beginnings. You know, it's interesting walking around our property here. Joanne will say, oh my, you know, it looks like this died. And I'll say, hey, just give it a month. You know, we can't, we can't know exactly when things are going to come back to life, much like in our own lives. We just got to keep fertilizing, nurturing, doing the things that we know lead to success and ultimately success blossoms explodes and new life comes out. Well, we're going to be talking about that. We're going to kind of have as a theme today, all we need is love. Yep, I'm going to even end with an old Beatles song as we go out today, but all you need is love. You'll see it as a kind of a continuing theme to some of the questions and content we're going to be working on today. You know, as I, as I work with people, I realize they're not looking for more information or systems or charts or graphs or processes you know, we have so many slick systems these days. We've lost the heart of what we're doing sometimes. But I find that people are looking for hope, encouragement, love, respect, transformation. And frankly, if you're already providing those to other people, you're probably in a position to prosper financially as well. That has to do with something I'm going to be offering this next Wednesday night, the 20th of April going to be doing a webinar where I'm going to be talking about how I've done that because I have so many people that ask me about that. I'll tell you a little bit more about that here in a minute as well. Webinar coming up on next Thursday night, April 20th. Here's some of the questions we're going to be looking at. I'll give you a quotation, then I'll tell you a little bit more about the webinar. Then my husband was laid off in the oil downturn, and after two years of getting by, he's back out in the oil field, but he's conflicted about that. I have a business idea of a mobile RV washing and cleaning business. Any thoughts on a business like this? Sure, we'll talk about that. What questions do you ask when you get to talk to successful people at this stage in their life? Got some questions I'll share with you that I encourage you to ask when you have a chance to talk to people who are successful. Dan, please help me help your listeners who are salespeople that call cold, cold call businesses. Somebody has given us some great advice here you want to hear. Dan, would I be crazy to leave an unfulfilling job making five figures after 25 years to work for a humanitarian organization that serves those in need in various countries? A whole lot of questions packed into that one. We'll unpack it. Here's one. I feel like my brain and heart are drowning. And then we'll end with this one if I can get to it. Hopefully I will. I would love to know what you believe are the top three things a person can do to live the best life possible for them. Well, I'll share some things there. Here's a quotation for today. 20 years from now, you will be more disappointed by the things you didn't do than by the ones you did do. So throw off the bow lines, sail away from the safe harbor, catch the trade winds in your sails, explore, dream, discover. Now, that's attributed to Mark Twain. I have to say attributed to because there are those who question if he ever said that. But, you know, that's true of pretty much any quotation out there. 
There are people who pride themselves in proving that a person did not say a quotation that's attributed to them. I'm, I'm not sure it's worth the time and effort to do that. Quotations, you know, there's really nothing new under the sun. There's a whole lot of things that get recycled out there, and rightfully so. So I don't think it's that big a deal, but I have people who in my books say, well, I'm not sure that Emerson said that. I'm not sure that Thoreau actually said that. Well, whatever. If it's a great quote, let's just leave it stand as it is. But this is one of those in one of my son Jared's favorite ones. And again, it attributed to Mark Twain. You may see H. Jackson Brown and others, but let's just go with Mark Twain. 20 years from now, you'll be more disappointed by the things you didn't do than by the ones you did. So throw off the bow lines, sail away from the safe harbor, catch the trade winds in your sails, explore, dream, discover. Hey, I'm going to go with that. Whoever said it, thank you so much. We'll pass it on. Hey, you can make it your own if you want to. Okay, hey, next Thursday night, April 20th, going to be doing a webinar on how I make money loving others. And you can too. I get so many questions about the things that I did that grew out of a Sunday school class. So it wasn't my intention to sit down and, and create a financially prosperous business. It was just how can I do a great job of being a Sunday school teacher and provide hope and encouragement to people. But in doing that, the doors of opportunities opened so quickly around me that I did start to walk through some of those doors. So it did turn into other things that I was doing. Saturday morning seminars where people from other churches could come and kind of get an overview of what I was sharing. But they paid for that. I charged for that. Right from the beginning, I always did. And I'm going to share a whole bunch of those things that I've done, how I turned that into speaking, creating products, online courses, and all that. So I'm going to be sharing exactly what I've done and how you can step right into the path that fits you best. In fact, I'm going to be sharing how you can partner with us. If you want to share the 48 Days message, we're going to show you a real simple plan where you can walk right in, link arms with us, do that in a way that we hope makes you a whole lot of money. So here's the landing page for that. Go to 48days.com success webinar. That's the landing page, 48days.com slash success webinar. I'll put that in the notes and remind you here at the, at the end of our end of our session today. But yeah, I, I did Saturday workshops. I used the disc profile help people understand themselves. Well, I, I was charging $145 for a one hour debriefing on the disc profile 20 years ago, I mean, a long, long time ago. And of course, then I did one-on-one coaching seminars. We do a lot of affiliate work with people. We promote other people's work that um, provides income for us. How I turned my writing, I was writing for Lifeway Sunday School materials and got paid for that. I'll be sharing about that again. That's with the webinar coming up on August or August on April 20th. Now, a couple notes about the employment situation. You know, I get updates from the U.S. Labor Bureau about what's happening in the employment situation. Well, the unemployment rate declined in March. Now, that's the last month we have figures for, obviously, this being the 1st of April. So the unemployment rate declined to 4.5. Now that still involves, you know, a million people or so. But what it means is that we are essentially at full employment. 
anytime that we get down to 5% unemployment, we consider it full employment. There's always going to be at least 5% of the people who are in between jobs, you know, who are making a transition or starting something on their own. I mean, that's really a healthy number. So it's at 4.5, which means companies are going to be looking for people to bring on board. It means essentially there's not enough people who are unemployed and companies are desperately looking for people that they can bring on board who have a clear identification of what their unique talents are. Well, a couple other things here. In March, there were 1.6 million persons that they describe as marginally attached to the labor force. Now, what that means is these individuals were not in the labor force. They wanted and were available for work and had looked for work sometime in the last 12 months, but they had not looked for work in the previous four weeks preceding the survey. Now, this is where, you know, government statistics, I mean, who knows what they really mean? And who knows how many millions of people are totally outside the radar of what the government is looking at? Here's an example. Among the marginally attached, there were 460,000 discouraged workers, down by 125,000 from a year earlier. Now, what they describe as discouraged workers, and this is always a term that just absolutely fascinates me, but according to the U.S. Department of Labor, discouraged workers are people who are not currently looking for work because they don't believe any jobs are available for them. So they've just simply given up. Now, I don't know how you can categorize or how you can find those people or get them to admit to that, but somehow they have a system and we know that 460,000 people in the country were discouraged workers, not looking for work because they don't believe any jobs were available for them. Now, let me tell you what a whole lot of those people are doing. They're figuring out, I don't want to be vulnerable to yet another job where I'm going to get laid off. I don't want to have to move to Houston to get a job just because there's an opening there. You know, I'm tired of being jerked around. I want more time flexibility, more income potential. And so they'd start something on their own. Well, a whole lot of those people, the government thinks they're discouraged workers are new entrepreneurs. They're people that are starting their own businesses. Gee, they're jumping online. They're getting a little Amazon business on going, an FBA business. You know, they're doing something on their own. I just had paving done here at the uh, sanctuary this last week. Finally, after years of having it and dust rolling up every time a truck comes back the driveway or people come in for an event, we paved it. Well, it's a dad and two of his sons. They got a little business. My gosh, did beautiful, beautiful work. And I'm sure the government could call them discouraged workers because they're not knocking on doors looking for jobs. They just started something on their own. Well, on and on. I don't need to go on with that. A couple areas where health care is up, added 14,000 jobs in April. Uh, what else is going on? Construction employment didn't change a whole lot. It was up by 6,000, but followed by a gain of 59,000 in February. So construction, health care, mining. Now, here's one that's probably a surprise. Mining added 11,000 new jobs in March. We don't think of that as being a big industry, but believe me, it is. Well, there's some trends in the statistics coming about the employment situation for whatever it's worth. Now, the, the, the thing is, don't listen to the news. Don't let the bad news discourage you. What it really comes down to is what are you going to do? 
you have the opportunity to get out here, find opportunities that other people are not finding because you're taking action. I mean, there's all kinds of things you can do to get in the game. You can start something on your own. You can be a freelancer. You talked to somebody yesterday. We positioned her to tell the company she's working for she didn't want to work there anymore and what she wants to do is be an independent contractor to provide services back to that company great transition a lot of people are doing that just a subtle move and how they're framing the work that they're already doing well let me go to some questions here this comes from marie and marie's the one that said my husband was laid off in the old on turn after and after two years of getting by he's back out in the oil field he's conflicted though He's been offered a job in OTR transport hotshot, but he's tired of being away from home. Our kids are getting ready to go to college. Incidentally, I ought to tell you what OTR transport hotshot that uh, maybe I ought to stop there and explain that a little bit. If you're listening over the road, OTR over the road trucking. So we know what that is. You see the 18 wheelers going down the road anywhere. Uh, hotshot means those are guys who, usually are delivering what would not be a full load and it may be just local just kind of spur of the moment or it may be golly a car dealer after an auction has two cars he needs to have picked up so it's not a full load but he needs to that's hot shot and those guys tend to be able to stay closer to home and tend to make more money relative to what they're actually doing than just the over the road long-term hauls so anyway uh, marie says our kids are getting ready to go to college we're about 150000 behind where we need to be for retirement. My husband's almost 50. I want him to be closer to home. There's no way he can make the same money here. He's missing our kids growing up. We have about, we've made about 150000 in real estate over the years, flipping, but I don't think we can do that full-time right now. He's reading your book, but I don't know how to help him. Well, Marie, I think you're really on the right track. You know, the fact that he uh, was in the oil field, he's back there now. I mean, certainly take advantage of what's right in front of you, but... The, the thing that you say he's been offered, been offered a job uh, in transport, hotshot transport, I mean, there's a lot of possibilities there. If you're creative and you're available there, I mean, I think that is a good option for you. The other thing that really intrigues me is that you say you've made about 150 in real estate over the years. Wow, when you say you're 150000 behind where you need to be for retirement, there are few things that are what Dave Ramsey would call a big shovel, like real estate. I mean, you can work a really long time getting paid hourly or even doing freelance work or whatever in your, in your own business to make $150,000. But if you really understand real estate, yeah, well, you could do three deals this year and get caught up in your retirement because of making $150,000. I would encourage you to look at that. And really, if you know how to do the rehab yourselves, how to you know rehab and flip them, Golly, I mean, I love those TV shows that are on. I like to watch those where they do exactly that. Now, TV probably enhances, makes it look a little easier than it really is. But if you understand that, and that's one of those things that's a big shovel rather than just looking for a traditional job. I would encourage you to expand that, maybe continue a traditional job for a couple years, but be looking at how you can move into that real estate flipping. If you understand that, I think that'll give you a bigger bump than most anything we could come up with. Kyle says, I have a business idea of mobile RV washing and cleaning. I imagine that there are a lot of folks, especially older folks who would like someone to come to them to wash their recreational vehicle. I have 
four summers worth of RV cleaning and washing experience at a large mid-Michigan dealership, along with other commercial cleaning experience. Since I'm in Michigan, I assume this business would have around a six-month fiscal year. Any thoughts on a business like this? Yeah, Kyle, I think it's a great segue, a great transition from the fact that you've already been doing that. Four summers worth of RV cleaning and washing. Wow, I think it's a pretty easy business to position yourself in. And yes, there's a growing need for that because there's a growing number of people who are living in RVs, not only for vacations, but actually living in RVs. So I think if you become the go-to person in your area, get out there aggressively, let people know uh, the RV parks and all that you do that. Absolutely. I think you can make hay while the sun shines, even if it is in a six-month fiscal year. What I would look at, if you really want that to be a business, is look at what you could do the other months, even if it's too cold to be washing. What could you do the other months that serve the same audience, that provide services that they need? What did they need? I mean, ask them. Go through a list of things that they need. Maybe little repairs or getting air conditioners ready or replumbing things. You know, just look for other things you could do using the same customer base. That's how you leverage that. And I think, sure, you can turn that into a profitable business. Love the sound of it. CDN. CDN says, I love your book show. Work the, thank you so much for what you do. I'm a 10% entrepreneur in financial planning, which is the work I love. Just getting started with a few clients. I want to reach the world and believe I have the skills, energy, and passion for helping people take control of their financial futures and connecting them in a fun, engaging, and meaningful way through a blog, a podcast, and or video content. I think I can excel at each of these. My question is, when would you recommend starting each of these, if any of them, and how would you start drawing people to them to create an audience? Right now I use referrals and casually mention my work in my personal Facebook and Instagram, but I don't want to run off my online personal network over promoting my business. Wow, great question, CDN. And here, here's the deal. If you're serving people well, you aren't going to run them off. So the fact that you tell them how you can provide help to them financially, and you could provide hope and encouragement through a podcast, I mean, that's not going to run people off. That's not going to see, be seen as something that's just over-promoting your business. Now, we do see a lot of over-promoting, and that's the person who jumps on the line and says, Hey, you never heard of me, but here's my $69 course. Buy it today, buy midnight tonight to get this bonus. Well, that's not a good plan. We could spend a lot of time parked there, but that's not a good plan. You have to build trust and rapport with people. There are four stages of the selling process, and you have to move through these. 40% right off the bat is developing rapport and trust. If people don't trust you, it doesn't matter if you have Rolexes for 10 bucks. They aren't going to buy from you. So trust and rapport, you have to figure out how to do that. 30% is identifying the need of that person. Do they even need what it is you offer? Then 20% is product presentation, product knowledge, and 10% is gaining commitment. So the big deal is how are you going to build trust and rapport with people? Well, a blog, a podcast, video content is an excellent way to do that. Just give, give, give. Serve people well in that way. I mean, that's what I do. I mean, on, on the podcast, do I mention things that I have for sale? Sure. 
but 95% of it is just simply sharing content, answering questions. You can do that as a great way. That's not going to be over promoting your business. So if you want to position yourself in financial planning, yeah, I encourage you go ahead, start a blog, a podcast, video content immediately do all of those. Just load them up with great value, great content. You know, Tim Ferriss says the best SEO is great content. You don't need to use fancy social media things. You, you know, you don't need to use Facebook ads and all. You just provide great content. You'll build an audience and then you can share with them what it is you can do to help them in achieving the goals that they have. Very legitimate way to ease right into a business and you can do it very quickly. Well, Mike says, Dan, I've recently had a small number of successful entrepreneurs, business owners come into my, into my wife and my social circle. They're in businesses ranging from restaurants to high-end web design to manufacturing. I may have the opportunity to sit down with some of these folks and talk about their path and maybe then use that wisdom in my own pursuits. My question is, what questions do you ask when you get to talk to people at this stage in their life? Well, you know, day 47 in the 48 days steps of things you do to walk right into the work you love. Day 47 is take a millionaire to lunch. Now, you've probably heard me say I have more people get stuck on that step than any other thing. Some of the others seem complicated to me, but they get stuck on that one. It's like, oh, how could I possibly do that? Well, there's probably people right around you who are millionaires and more who may not be driving flashy cars and live in big houses, but really are bona fide millionaires. I mean, read, read the millionaire next door by Thomas Stanley. It'll tell you how surprising it is. How people who really are millionaires usually don't have the flashy things that other people who are just trying to impress others do well, be that as it may, but you should know what to ask when you have an opportunity to meet with somebody who's been really successful. So I'll give you some questions. I've got these listed out. We'll put these in the show notes today. Questions to ask a millionaire. Here's one. What do you know now you wish you'd known when you were just starting? Here's another one. Number two, did you use a detailed business plan? Number three, to what do you attribute your success? Now here, be, be in, in hearing these, recognize these are asking for advice and opinion. They're not asking for help. It's not like, hey, can I borrow money from you? You know, what would you do in my... No, just engage them in a conversation by affirming what they're doing, showing interest, and you can learn as a result of that. So to what do you attribute your success? Number four, do you have a problem you're trying to solve now? Number not, number five, what's the most important lesson you ever learned? And incidentally, I've got 13. Now, we could make it 48. Maybe I ought to make 48 questions. You can ask a million. That'd be easy to do. But these are just some that just I've gotten a short list here. What is the legacy you want to leave? What's your most important habits? People ask me about that a lot. I tell them what I do in the first two hours of the day. That's the most important thing. The rest of the day can be pretty much anything. As long as I protect the first two hours of the day, I'm golden. And I know that I'm moving toward all these things that I want to accomplish, leaving a legacy and all of that. Anyway, uh, number seven, what's your most important habit? Number eight, what's exciting to you right now? I mean, millionaires are not just stagnant and resting on their laurels, doing what they did 20 years ago. No, 
not a chance. They're always working on new ideas. I mean, one of the things that I do is every year eliminate 15% of what I've been doing currently so I can open the door to a new 15%. I mean, I force that process. Even if I eliminate something that's been fulfilling and profitable, I know that opens me up to new things, new opportunities, new excitement. And of course, I need the change or I'll get bored anyway. But, you know, ask somebody, what's exciting to you right now? Number nine, how would you spend $10,000 to improve your business? Number 10, what's the most important characteristic in your life that has helped you succeed? Number 11, where do you see yourself in 10 years? You know, one of the things that's really true for successful people, I heard Dan Sullivan talk about this, is, you know, we tell our body to start shutting down. We tell our body it's time to die. When we see more behind us, than we see in front of us. I had to go grab his quotation. It's more elegant than that, I'm sure. But essentially, that's it. And I really remind myself of that. Wow, if I see more in terms of what I've done than I think I'm going to do in the future, I just told my body, hey, it's time to check out. And that's why we see people. That's why we see people who retire. And two years later, they're dead. Not because they're in poor health, because they told their body and their mind and their spirit, hey, there's no use living. I'm done. There's more behind me than there is in front of me. Kelly, I want to I make sure that I stay clear on that. And I have, my intention is to accomplish more in any way that you want to measure it in the next 10 years of my life than I have in my entire life up to this point. I mean, that's an exciting concept to me. And I've got some things in place that I think will in fact, allow me to do that. And I hope you do too. Well, number 12, questions to ask a millionaire. What's a motto or quotation that you live by? Something that inspires you. Number 13, what support or encouragement can I offer to you to to help you continue your success? Sure, offer to be a resource, but don't make it, you know, contingent on that. I mean, they don't want you showing up at their doorstep every morning to mow their grass or sweep their sidewalk, but, you know, engage with them. Great question. Man, I love that. You get an opportunity to meet with successful entrepreneurs, business people. Absolutely. Take advantage of them as a valuable resource to move you forward as well. Now, this comes from from April. This is really, it's funny, but it's so, so true. Dan, please help me help your listeners who are salespeople that cold call businesses. I am an executive assistant for a high-level IT professional. I get five to ten calls a day from salespeople trying to bully their way into my boss. And she says in all caps, that doesn't fly with me. The approach they should be taking is to tell me how they can best serve us and ask me graciously if I'm willing to get some information in front of my boss. The way to him is through me, so wouldn't it make sense to make nice with the assistant? Anything other than that will not get you in front of him, and he will never answer the phone directly. Some other helpful tips, never hang up on the assistant. Don't ask for the boss's voicemail. Know his position before you call and stop the aggression. (laughs) Ah, April. Those are great points and well-received. Uh, it, it is pretty hilarious to see how people try to manipulate, bully, coerce, getting past the gatekeeper. That's ridiculous. 
Uh, yesterday, I had on a conference call John Ruin, who's the author of a book called Giftology. And he talks about when he is trying to get in to see a decision maker, he gets a gift, an elegant gift for the assistant, knowing that she or he is the gateway to the person he wants to talk to. But he describes some of the beautiful, beautiful things that he's done. Getting a gift for the assistant that's every bit as high class caliber as he would get for the executive himself, himself or herself. But yeah, he, he gets it. That message is being spread. And if you want to know how to do that better, get the book Giftology. Now I didn't kind of drop that in, but it's a great book by my buddy John Rulin and addresses that situation exactly. Now this comes from Claire. This is a loaded, loaded question with a lot of details left out, but we'll fill in the gaps to give you some guidance. Claire says, would I be crazy to leave an unfulfilling job making five figures after 25 years to work for a humanitarian organization that serves those in need in five in various countries? The pay would be eight to ten dollars an hour and would be a one hour commute. All right. Now, there, there are a lot of unknowns here. An unfulfilling job after 25 years making five figures. Well, five figures could mean $10,000. I assume you're not talking about making $5 an hour. So it's probably not $10,000 an hour. So you're somewhere between, in the five figures, $10,000 a year and $99,999. That puts you just a dollar under six figures. So I don't know where you are in that. But if we talk about moving to this humanitarian organization, if your pay is $10 an hour, which is on the upper side of what you say is available there, that's roughly $1,600 a month. And that means you can't spend more than $400 a month on a place to live. I mean, that's the rule of thumb. You're never going to want to spend more than 25% of your income on your mortgage, rent, utilities, and everything included. So you have $400 a month to have a place to live. That's going to be challenging. Let's see, you're in Lexington, Virginia. I mean, I mean, anywhere is going to be challenging, 400 bucks a month. So if you're getting $1,600 a month, you take 400 out for that, you're down out of 1,200. I mean, gas, you got a one-hour commute. I mean, that means you're going to be spending another 150 to $200 a month on gas. Let alone other car expenses, wear and tear, insurance. I mean, wow, if this, you know, forces you to then have to move back in with your parents. No, I don't think that's a good move at all. I mean, I'd, I'd rather see you get a reasonable job making a good income. Have a core career where you're making a reasonable income. Then volunteer your time and give a portion of your income to that worthy organization. I mean, nothing wrong with that at all. I mean, do that. But I've seen a whole lot of people talk themselves into working at a church or a nonprofit because they were attracted to the mission only to end up resenting the whole deal because they couldn't make their own life work. If you're hungry, the electric bill is due and you can't pay it. That's not going to be compensated by the fact that you're doing worthwhile, godly humanitarian work during the day. It just doesn't work. I'm just, I wouldn't recommend doing this at all. No, I mean, do I think it's honorable to be involved with humanitarian organizations? Absolutely. 
Yeah, I'd be my, like my buddy David Hancock, who's a CEO of Morgan James Publishing. I mean, he provides the entire funding for Habitat for Humanity House every year. His real goal is to be able to do one a month. But, I mean, what a cool thing to do. Now, he, he could be really handy with his hands, be a pretty good carpenter or landscaper, and he could volunteer to help on a house. That's not going to have the same impact as his ability to earn money and then fund that entire house itself. So maximize what you can do personally and then volunteer, tithe your time. You, you know, give 10% of your time if you want to. Give 10% of your income. That's likely to do more good for an organization than you can buy on beans and rice because they're only paying you 8 to $10 an hour. Hey, I'm sure I got a lot of people that'll take issue with that. That's fine. Shoot me your notes. Incidentally, if you got questions or comments, uh, things we're dealing with here, just shoot it to me at askdan at 48days.com. Get a lot of, a lot and a lot of emails there. We get a lot of requests for people to be on a podcast. A lot of notes from publishers want me to interview their authors, but a lot of questions, the things that I value are the questions from you guys, the listeners. So send those in, keep those coming. Love, love, love seeing those every week when I open that magical email box up and see those questions with the real life situations that we're talking about right here. So just send those to askdan at 48days.com. And if you think, if you think this person, let's see what Claire, if you think Claire ought to take this job, uh, making eight to $10 an hour because it's a humanitarian organization, uh, give me your rationale for how that could make sense. I'd love to hear that as well. Well, here's one. This comes actually from Dan, who says, Dan, thanks to you, I've read more the four years after college than the four years I was in college. I love reading and learning, but with all the available information, how do you get the most out of your books or any other great source? Knowing you read for hours every day, how do you take in everything you learn and then how to implement it? Especially when it's like drinking from a fire hose. Also, what books do you find yourself rereading the most often? Wow. Great question. I love reading. There is nothing that has opened the door to opportunity for me like reading great books. So that's high in my list. Always will be till the day I die. You know, I mean, that, that'd be a great way to go. I mean, my mom died just sitting in her favorite chair in the living room one Friday night after they had been to Walmart and Bob Evans reading a book and her head just dropped down and she was gone. And I'd love to go that way with a great book open in my lap and just close my eyes and be gone. So I'll make that my goal. And it's likely to happen with the amount of time I spend reading. But when I read, I read with a highlighter and the little, it's like post-it notes, but they aren't that big. I mean, they're just the little tabs, but they're, they stick on the pages. So when I go through a book the first time, I'm going to go through and I'm going to highlight the things that really jump out at me that are really applicable to me right then. And I also put a little post-it note right there. So if you pull a book off my shelf, it's full of those little post-it note tabs on there. Now, when I say it's full, you know, a book that I really like got a lot out of, there may be 10 or 12. A book that I just read and found a couple great thoughts in are going to have two or three. So that's, that's kind of a quantity list. What that does, though, is then I can walk around. When I'm writing something, I'll think, wow, I read in The Compound Effect five years ago by Darren Hardy. 
and I it talked about every little thing matters. You know, everything is either a plus or a minus in terms of where it's taken you. And I'll walk over and pull that book off the shelf and I can very quickly just open it and see the things that mattered to me. I was on a, a phone conference call this week and we were talking about somebody who is a Christian musician. She's very good, but she's having a really hard time making that her primary source of income. I grabbed off the shelf Elizabeth Gilbert's book that I read a couple years ago, Big Magic, and with one of my tabs flipped right to a section where Elizabeth talked about the fact that she kept a regular job way after Eat, Love, Pray was popular and making her millions of dollars because she never wanted to force her writing to take responsibility for her life. And she says that she's seen a lot of creative people murder the very thing they want to nurture by forcing it to be their only source of income. So I know that's there. It's very easy for me to walk over and just grab a book. Now you, you are gathering incidentally that I still love physical books. If I, I scan a lot of books, you know, on Kindle or electronically, but if it's a book that I want to read, I immediately order the real book, what I still call the real book. Yeah, I, I love the physical books because it's much more difficult for me to do what I just described. Even if I know I read a book three years ago and I know there's a section in it that stood out to me, and even if I marked it digitally, electronically, it takes me longer to go find it than just being able to walk right over to a shelf here in my office and pick it up. So that's how I categorize. That's how, and, and underlining and tabbing things means that it gets a, a much more solid place in my brain than if I just read it and went on. It's, it's like when you, when you write something down, when you hear it, I mean, there's a way to reinforce the message. So I do that by underlining, tabbing it, and then reviewing when I get finished with the book. And, I, and then also here, uh, Claire also asked, or uh, Dan asked in this question, you know, what books do you find yourself rereading the most often? Well, there, there are some standards that I reread, like Victor Frankl's Man's Search for Meaning. I read that a couple times a year. Uh, Dale Carnegie, How to Win Friends and Influence People. But there are others that I find myself going back to here frequently. Last year, I read Essentialism three times. Greg McCown's great book, just because it had such a profound impact on me. Deep Work by Cal Newport. You've heard me talk about that. I've gone back and reread that. Now, I don't know that those are ones that I'll go back and read, you know, years from now. But there are certainly some that I do go back to, some that are just fun that I go back to again and again and again. All right, I want to find my passions. This comes from Charles. I want to find my passions and dream vocation really bad. I feel like I'm so consumed with it that I don't even know, really know myself. It's like my brain and heart are drowning I have to ask people questions about me and they don't really know or tell me or they don't really know or tell me I need to relax. I keep second guessing my answers to questions like, uh, are you a lion or an eagle or an otter or a peacock? Do you have any suggestions or tactics I can use to really look inward, know myself, to pursue my dreams with confidence? I love 48 Days to the Work You Love. love your podcast, which I listen to every day. Thanks for all you do. You are the man. Well, thank you, Charles. You are the man. You need to figure out what your passions and dream vocation are. That's not something that should remain a mystery. But I'm confident that you've got, got enough information at this point that you really can figure that out. So draw the line in the sand. Take a fresh look. Identify what are skills and abilities, not only things you know you can do, but things you know you enjoy doing. 
You got to be able to make a list of eight or 10 things that you enjoy doing and you know you're good at. And how do you relate to other people? When you, when you talk about how to know yourself, sure, we promote the DISC profile. You can go to 48days.com and get all kinds of information on the DISC. Are you dominant, influencing, steady, steady, compliant? And you need to know that. And we're very predictable. You don't wake up every morning as just a fresh, clean slate. We're very predictable. We can see in little kids things that are going to identify what kind of work would be most suitable for them, how they interact with other kids well, and how they're likely to lead, persuade, sell when they grow up. We can see that in little kids. So, yeah, you've got enough information. Somehow it's just not lining up. It's strict enough for you here. Asking other people is a very legitimate way to get to that information. They ought to be able to tell you some things. I got a, I got a, I got a place here where you, you need to go. The Enneagram has kind of exploded in popularity again. It's a very old kind of a spiritual process of insight to figure out how God has wired us. My friend Ian Cron has a new book out called The Road Back to You, where he talks about the Enneagram. That's incidentally, that's E-N-N-E-A-G-R-A-M. But go to his site and he's got a, you can take it for free. You can just take a little survey and it'll show you there what you are on the Enneagram. Just another good way to look at yourself. And Ian's site is iancron.com, I-A-N-C-R-O-N.com. And that's I-A-N-C-R-O-N.com. Just go there, click on the little link to do the Enneagram yourself. It's a really fun way. And just one more piece. I encourage you to do everything. Do the Myers-Briggs. You know, do Strength Finders. Do the Fascination Index. Sally Hogshead. I mean, I, I do all of those. I do, I do probably one a month new things that I've not heard of before. Because I love the process of getting that continued feedback like that. Really great way to understand yourself, but in doing so, then be comfortable with what it's telling you about yourself. Take the disc on the 48 days site and then ask yourself, is that true? Now there's going to be things that you probably disagree with. That's fine. We don't want the computer to become more real than you, the person, you know, cross those things out that you don't agree with. But in as much as you confirm what's there, or have other people say, yeah, that's really you, then accept that and see that as indicators for what your dream vocation really should be. Utilizing, embracing, integrating what you know about yourself. And that's why I like to work with people who are, you know, 42 years old or over, you know, 55, whatever, because they have enough life experience. We can look back and get really clear about what we're going to use as the filter for work that they should be doing. That filter is knowing yourself. The more you know yourself, the more confidence you can have about those passions and dream vocation that'll move you forward. Great question. Thanks for sharing it here. Greg says, thanks for the wisdom you share in each podcast. I'd love to know what you believe are the top three things a person can do to live the best life possible for them. Boy, that's a, that's a big challenge. The top three things a person can do to live the best life possible for them. Well, let me give you, well, let me just give you three. Read great books. Hey, is that a surprise? One of the top things you can do to live the best life, read great books. It'll help you know about possibilities you've not seen up to this point. 
it'll help you see things about yourself that you haven't recognized. It just expands the possibilities like nothing I know. So read great books. Number two, uh, respect all people and love them unconditionally. Number three, take care of and protect your health. All right. Well, hey, you know, I'm going to add num- uh, number four. Realize you're part of something bigger than your own physical life. Okay, so there you go. Now, those were not deeply thought out. But in answer to your question, Greg, the top three things a person can do to live the best life possible for them, read great books, respect all people, love them unconditionally, take care of and protect your health, realize you're part of something bigger than your own physical life. Well, hey, just a couple reminders here. You know, over in the Eagles, you know, 48dayseagles.com, where there's a lot of cool things happening there. People are showing up daily and blown away by the value they're getting there. Uh, Greg Tosi has every week a weekly hangout on Wednesday night. It's just part of the community. People get together, hang out, share ideas. But the the way people are are sharing ideas and resources there is pretty astounding. Uh, just a thrill to watch. And check out 48dayseagles.com. Well, we got an event coming up here, as you know. Innovate is the next event. If you're a starving artist, you shouldn't be. We're, we're going to show you how to create a business that feeds your passion and your bank account. That's Innovate. That's coming up on Mother's Day weekend, just before that, Thursday, Friday, May 11th and 12th, right here at the sanctuary. Just go to 48days.com, check on the live events to get information on that. Got another event coming up. Now, this is going to be for people who are interested in making money on Amazon. Let me give you a real quick URL 48days.com slash Jim. That takes you to the conference coming up with my friend Jim Cochram. He is the genius. He's the one you hear me talk about repeatedly about making money at Amazon. Now this conference, I'm going to be speaking at the conference. It's September 20th through the 23rd in Orlando. I'm going to do the opening keynote on that and really looking forward to that. But uh, this is the conference for people who want to make money online. Now the conference typically sells out in 24 hours. It's going to open on April 19th, Wednesday. So depending on when you're listening to this, mark it on your calendar, but go to 48days.com slash gym. And then remember the one we got coming up Wednesday night or Thursday night, April 20th. If you want to know how to love and encourage other people and get paid for doing that, go to 48days.com slash success webinar. That's what I want you to check out. Hey, we're going to take you out a little bit different way today told you i do that we talked about how loving people can do well for you it can end your bank account pulled up an old beatles song here to take us out all you need is love hey thanks for being part of this group where we are in fact finding or creating work that is meaningful purposeful and profitable love your way to success guys hey have fun doing it don't settle for less Nothing you can do, but you can learn how to be in time. It's easy. All you need is.